0: We've been in uh, Colossians 1 the last few weeks, and if I could sum up uh, Colossians 1, uh, it would be uh, Paul letting them know about the supremacy of Christ. And he wanted them to know that for a huge reason, because he knew when, when they truly understood that, that it would captivate their hearts. It would captivate who they are, it would change and transform who they are when they understood the deity of Jesus, who Jesus is what He's about, the ministry of Jesus. And not only would it transform them, but it would, it would, it would ignite them to go do something about it. That they would want to start serving uh, that Jesus, that Savior. And so Paul was, was, was big on it. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 2 today, but before we jump into uh, chapter 2, I want to mention we didn't finish all the way uh, through chapter 1 last week because uh, we ran out of time. So I want to give you the cliff note version of what happened at the end because it actually uh, seamlessly goes into uh, chapter, chapter 2. It's one big, one big section. And what Paul is talking about at the end of this chapter 1 is he lets them know and he lets us know that he's been given, some of your Bibles may say, a stewardship. Uh, others may call it a mission. Or we use the word calling a lot today. That he's been given a calling. And his calling was to make the Word of God the Word of God known to men and to women. And listen to what he, how he describes uh, the Word of God. He describes it as a mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations. And he says, this mystery, this mystery is Christ. Jesus Christ revealed. And he says, I've given my life uh, to, to share this good news of Jesus to anyone and everyone. He says, because of what Jesus has done, he ends the beginning, and end of chapter one. He talks about that I'm a servant. I'm a servant to the gospel, he talks about. And so it kind of seamlessly goes into chapter two, where he's talking about the gospel being a, a mystery, that Jesus Christ has now been revealed. The mystery has been revealed. But he uses some of that same language uh, with this group of people. And let's just jump in and read Colossians one or two, verses one and two. And we're going to do our best to get through verses 15 today, and then we'll finish out chapter 2 next week. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is this, he said, is that they may be encouraged in heart uh, and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ." In whom all hidden, who in whom are all uh, I can't even speak today. Let's try it again. In whom uh, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, "I tell you this," and he goes on. Paul talks about uh, one of the things about Paul is he didn't he didn't just uh, praise or speak to or or communicate with those churches that he visited or the ones that he personally was a part of starting. But we remember that the church in Colossians was not a church that he personally started. But he was a part of it in a a, a small way because the guy that was a part of starting it, Epaphras, uh, came to Christ under some of Paul's teaching and ministry in in Ephesus. Uh, So Paul begins to talk a little bit about that. And then he mentions Laodicea. Uh, He mentions Laodicea. This was a town that would have been near within uh, miles, maybe 8-10 miles of, of of, of Colossae. Uh, it, was, it was a town that uh, we know in Revelation 3, that it's, it's a town that was known for something that none of us want to be known for. Anybody remember that? They were known as a what church? Anybody? Wow, a lukewarm church. They were a lukewarm church. And Paul begins to talk about Laodicea. One, because either one of this letter that he wrote to the Colossians passed on to them, or because he identified or heard from other people that, hey, what's going on in Laodicea? It's not much different and what's going on with the, with the Colossian church during this time. So Paul, what does he say during this very opening chapter? He says, I want you to be encouraged in heart and united in love. For he believed these couple things, and, and, and Jesus Christ being the foundation of it all, would help them guard against heresy, to help them guard against false teaching. And in verses 2 and 3, Paul Uh, was the absolute king of run-on sentences in the Bible. He just keeps writing, 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 and never puts a period at the end. If he would have had Grammarly, uh, he would have known better, but he didn't have Grammarly or Word to to help fix any of these. So listen to to verses 2 and 3, all the things that he mentions in one monstrous, long, run-on sentence, and it's a lot. He tells this church, hey, be encouraged. Be united in love. Uh, that you may have the full riches of complete understanding, that you may know the mystery of God, that in Christ, in whom all are the treasures and wisdom of knowledge. The words that he uses in verse 2 and 3 are not words we often use to describe uh, the Bible, or to describe God, or to describe uh, the things of God, right? Right? But Paul was a master, and he is using language and words that were going on within this culture. Remember, uh, the church at Colossae, it it was rampant with Gnosticism, wisdom, knowledge, thought, mysteries, hidden treasures. It was rampant with mysticism, visions, and dreams, and it's out there somewhere, right? So he uses the exact same language as he speaks to the church in Colossae that the false teachers are using as they're promoting heresy. And he says things like hidden treasures, mysteries, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. And the false teachers believe, man, if we could just find the key and open the door to this hidden knowledge that's out there somewhere, right? Then we will have arrived, we will be enlightened, and we will be the true men and women of God of which Paul says, you're right. Only that can be found in Christ alone. And you're chasing after it in all of these other areas, in all of these other places. And Paul says there is a mysterious truth you need to know. And let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus Christ. And he came to fulfill the mystery, the hidden gospel to the world. Jesus, Jesus is it. So for this group of people, not only the the Christ followers in, in, in Colossae during this time, but Paul is flipping on its head, all of the false teaching, the language that they're using to promote a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of philosophy and theory, mix it all together and out comes my version, my version of Christianity. I love what Paul does. He knew who he was talking to. He knew that these people were were, were heady and they wanted knowledge and wisdom and all these things to to be the thing that was talked about the most. So he goes down that, he goes down that path and Paul doesn't just pull these words out of a hat. But he uses them to connect with this group of people. I was reading chapter two this week, and uh, not only does the language that we do not uh, that we don't we don't use often, uh, but the, one of the things about chapter two that takes place as well, as well is for us to wrap our head around the gospel of being being a mystery or hidden knowledge. Right? I mean, we are. We are generations after this early church was learning some of these things. We've we've had a lot of study, right, about the the Gospels and Jesus that have come our way for us to understand who Jesus is. So for us to think of the Gospel as this mystery or this, this hidden thing, it doesn't quite make sense for us. But let me ask you a question. When did people finally get the Gospel? When did they finally understand it? When it was fulfilled. When it was revealed, it wasn't a trick question. When Jesus came, and people, even when Jesus came after the resurrection, were still struggling, trying to piece all of this together. I heard from this prophet, and I heard from this teacher one time, and you're telling me that, that this works together like this. Even, even a couple guys in Luke 24 that were walking down the road to Emmaus. You know that story, don't you? After the resurrection, they're walking down the road, and, and it says in the Bible they're talking about all the things that have just happened. They're trying to wrap their head around what just happened. Their heads are down a little bit because they're not quite sure uh, what just happened is what they wanted to happen. And as they're walking down the road, just uh, minding their own business, talking about all the things that went down, all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene and starts walking beside them. It's an incredible story. Verse 17 in, in Luke 24 it says, He asked them, Hey guys, what are you talking about? Can you imagine this scene? As, as Jesus is showing up. What are you guys discussing? You know, what, are you, what could you possibly be talking about as you're walking along? And they stood still with their faces downcast, and, it's, and, and they pretty much said, do you live on another planet? I mean, where are you from? Do you do not know what's going on in Jerusalem? Have you turned on the news? I mean, there's a big thing going down right now. How do you not know? Of which Jesus... Uh, I think it's sarcasm, I don't know, maybe it's just, it has to be. He says, well, I don't know, what's happened? Tell me about it, you know? And he's the subject of what just happened. Incredible story. And then it goes on in verse 27, and, and it talks about, Jesus went back from the very beginning, talked about Moses and the prophets and all that went down, and he reveals the whole story about himself, and the guys still didn't get it, and they sat down for dinner that night, and Jesus, Jesus shared some words with them, and they were their eyes were opened wide. They realized they were in the presence of the Savior, Jesus Christ. So these couple people, right after the resurrection, they, they, they weren't quite fully understanding the whole gospel. They weren't quite understanding everything that was going on, but eventually they did. The gospel wasn't fulfilled until Jesus came onto the scene and and even then, it took time. It took time for so many for so many people. So as you think about what Paul's talking about in Colossians two, mysteries and hidden things and all this stuff, it brings you to a, like a tension point uh, when you think about the gospel. Is the gospel is it simple and straightforward, or is the gospel is it mysterious? Is it is it like a hidden treasure? Is it is it that? And my answer to that is yes. Yes to both. The gospel is simple and straightforward. If I was to have you uh, just walk, I said, come on up. You're going to share just a few sentences or a paragraph about uh, just the gospel, what the gospel means. Uh, most of you in here could do that. And you would just fly off your tongue. We all may say it in a different way. That God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then he created man in his image. We know the story. And man, uh, we were in perfect union, but man, uh, we chose to rebel. We broke fellowship with him. And there, in fact, it was sin sin entered the picture, right? Uh, that Romans 3.23 says, For all uh, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And with sin, there's separation. With sin, there's brokenness between us and God. And what's it say about sin in Romans 6.23? It says, For the wages of sin is, it's death. That's not good. So we've got a big, big problem on our hands. And we've got a big problem on our hand that we in our own uh, self have no ability to fix this problem. We have no ability to do it. So God saw fit in His mercy, His grace uh, to fix the problem. To send Jesus into the world. Uh, to, to sacrifice His one and only Son so that we can be in right standing with Him. It's the greatest story of love. The greatest story of grace known to man. And then the Bible says, by grace, through faith, We can be saved, right? And we can be, as Paul mentioned at the end of chapter 1 last week, this word, we can be reconciled back to God. We can be in right standing. We can be in right standing with God because of what Jesus did. So the gospel is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. So many of you in here have heard it many, many times. Some of you have heard it just a few times. But the subject of the gospel, Jesus, is profound. The depths of the subject of the Gospel, Jesus, is, is never-ending. Absolutely never-ending. Uh, to a point where, to give you some word pictures, there are literally thousands upon thousands of libraries that are chucked full of books, uh, theological uh, journals, scholarly articles written on who Jesus is. That Jesus really was the Son of God and came and walked on this earth trying to understand the Trinity, the three-in-one, but yet they're in perfect, they're in perfect unity. In all of this stuff, there's been songs written about it, poems written about it, books written about it, about trying to understand Jesus in all of his fullness and vastness and greatness. So the gospel's simple and straightforward, but Jesus, man, he is, he is absolutely incredible. And he is full uh, of great, great depth, and he's profound. I want you to think of it this way. Uh, last week, we talked just a tad about uh, creation, uh, that Jesus was there from the beginning i want you to look around this room and just to look at the walls and the ceiling and the and the lights and the carpet and the 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 pew that you get to reside in that's that's comfortable and the the heat that's on all the things that are seen right now and then all the things that are unseen that are allowing you to be in here to worship god and really not have much worry going on right now right There are so many uh, components and things going on before us and around us that we cannot, we cannot, we cannot see. Some of you on your wrist, I can't stand them, so I don't wear one. I just look at my phone or wearing a watch. And some of you are wearing a digital watch because you can't tell time with the watch that goes like this. Um, So this is for the people that the watch that goes like this. Uh, There's a lot of things going on inside of that watch. Uh, the intricacies of that watch, the components, the technology, uh, the, the the little tiny parts that if it doesn't work, the watch won't tell time. And you trust it and you look down at it. And there's a lot of things going on underneath that watch. You'll never know. It's way above us. But you know that it tells you what time it is, right? Uh, you're, most of you have a phone in your pocket. If you were to pull your phone out, uh, the, the technological advances that are on this, the math, the physics, the you name it, to make this thing be what it is, it's absolutely amazing. We have many in this room that work out at the base. And the technological advances that are taking place out there, uh, the, literally the inventions, uh, the things that are being done on real estate real close to us, it's literally protecting us as American citizens, not just here, but around the world. It's absolutely amazing. It's astonishing what's going on. All the things that we see All the things that are unseen that we are a part of every single day that make our life work. Now, let me tell you something about it all. All of it. Every single little bit of it, to the last detail, was here when the world was created. All of it. God created a world full of potential. Some of us, we're in 2019, we're experiencing some of the great potential of our world. Generations prior, not so much. How did it happen? We started digging, right? People started digging. They started pouring stuff together to see if it worked. They started inventing things. They started making things. Somebody would make something, and then they would find out, man, I, let's, let's even push it further and see if it'll, it'll work out even better. And, and they would push it further, and then they would even make it better. We've studied, we've tried, we've failed, we've discovered all of this stuff. And what we found is there's, there's literally endless potential with this incredible world that God has given us. Now, let me give you a picture of Jesus. Think about your walk with Him, the subject of the gospel. And it is incredible as all the technology, all the things that we see and are part of every single day as human beings on this earth. Jesus is tenfold. It's not even in the ballpark with what we experience every single day. That the more we dig, right? The more we seek, the more we try to discover who Jesus is, uh, what he's about, the heart of Jesus, we just continue to find out more and more and more and more. And more. It's why you can hear a teaching on a particular passage or read it for yourself, and then two years later, you read it again, and God speaks to you in a brand new way because the depths of our Jesus, it's profound. It's unbelievable. And Paul, what he tells this group of people, he describes it as in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That, yes, the gospel is simple and straightforward. But Paul says, hey, heady Colossian group of people, you want to start diving in? Go to Jesus. In Him is all the knowledge. In Him is all the wisdom. In Him is all the treasures. It's endless. It's remarkable, Paul says. And then he gives the reason why. To keep Jesus in His rightful spot. He says in verse 4, I tell you this, I tell you all this, so that, you, uh, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments... For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Why does Paul all throughout this book, it's like the same theme over and over again, continue just to harp on the centrality of Christ? He just keeps going back to keeping Jesus front and center. Make Him number one. Don't go after this direction or that direction. The reason why he does this is because he not only knew then, but he knows now. There are a lot of fine-sounding arguments that can lead us to some very dark and even ugly and weird and weird places. We look around our world today. We look around our country today. There are some fine-sounding arguments where there's a little bit of truth mixed in with this huge lie where it will ultimately lead to destruction. And Paul says, man, guard yourself against that. And here's how you do it. Keep Christ front and center in your life. Seek Him in all things. Mimic Him. Live your life for Him, Paul says. And Paul knew that, man, this, 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 this fine-sounding uh, uh, argument would be, would be rampant everywhere. The Bible paints a pretty clear picture. That there is a spiritual enemy, and our spiritual enemy is known as the great deceiver, most of us in here don't buy into bold-faced lies. I mean, when we hear something, that's like, that one's a lie. There's no way that's true. Uh, we can pretty much turn the other way, or we can sniff out a lie, or we can sense one coming on. But man, when deception sneaks in, I think we did an illustration a while back about that, where there's a little bit of truth, a little bit of deception, and it can lead us to do some of the weirdest, ugliest. It can make us think about, it can, it can create fine-sounding arguments, as Paul is talking about, and we can find ourselves flat out deceived. And what we'll do, see if you've ever done this, you'll buy into about any speculation that comes your way on just about an ounce of truth. Well, there's, there's a piece of truth in there, so I mean, I might as well... Do you see how dangerous it is? We live in an age of information, an age of misinformation, for us to be locked into Christ alone because some days we don't know what's true and what's not. Where do we find truth? Our moral compass It's in His Word. And it's by Jesus alone. The Bible says this about the devil. It says he's the accuser. You ever been accused by him? He's the slanderer. Uh, It says he's the great deceiver. He's the liar. And Paul knew that our enemy's no dummy. He's not going to come after you with a bold-faced lie. But rather, he's going to lure you. He's going to tempt you. He's going to give you a half-truth, and all of a sudden, man, that... That argument is really good. I think I'm going to buy into that, and I'm going to go after that. And we will find ourselves there so quickly. I was reading this week, uh, social media tells you lots. I lost my, the picture I wanted to read. But by John MacArthur. And when this came across, I thought, I'm sharing it Sunday because it's perfect about deception. He says, how can a deceived person know he or she is deceived? How, how, can, we, how can we know it? How can we spot someone who is deceived? Here's what he says. Look for people who are seeking feelings, blessings, experiences, healings, angels, you name it, that are only interested in the byproducts of faith, not in Christ. We have a generation of people today that are interested in the byproducts of Christ, but not so much Christ. Oh, we want the blessings. Uh, we, we, we want to experience the healing. I want to feel that, You know, feel it. And you name it. Man, when we go down that path, we will be deceived and it will lead to a dark, ugly place. So Paul says the fact that there's false teaching going on all over Colossae, uh, the fact that there's false teaching going on in 2019 all around the world, I want you to remember where you started, that you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You said you were going to be molded and shaped by Him. And when that happened... You got a new status. You became a part of the body of Christ. You became a person that experienced new life, right? You, you were adopted in. You experienced sonship with Jesus. all the words that the Bible talks about. And here's what it goes on and says of how, we, how do we guard ourselves. Uh, because I don't know about you, but it seems like when I hear something, I'm a, I'm a skeptic first, and it's turned me into that. Uh, and that's a shadow side of, of all the other uh, you know, things of misinformation. But Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7 uh, talks about how we establish ourselves in the truth. Uh, There are churches that have put their entire discipleship program on this verse alone, these two verses. It says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Hey, hey Colossae, remember when you came to Christ? Don't forget that. Keep living in Him and live your lives for Him, rooted and built up in Him strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So here's what I want you to do, church. Live in Christ. Follow Him first. Chase after Him first. Paul's saying the Spirit of the living God is living and dwelling inside of you. It should affect how you live your everyday life. So I want you to be established in the faith. I want you to stay rooted. I want you to guard yourself against the theories, philosophies, the fine-sounding arguments, all the stuff that he just talked about. And it's an ongoing, continuous process of where over your lifetime you become more and more like Jesus. And when you begin to truly understand what Christ has done for you, what's you say at the end of the verse, you're going to overflow with thankfulness. So many of you in here today, you would say, that's the season I'm in in my life. I am overflowing with thankfulness from all the things God has done for me, all the things God has taught me, all the things He's cheered me on to do. Church, this was, this was Paul's vision, vision for the church. That the church would know God, that the Colossian church would be known by God, that they would be rooted in their faith, and that they would grow up into full maturity in Christ Jesus. It's why we exist. It's why we exist as Centerville Community Church. So that people can know God, right? So that you will know God. So that people will be known by God outside these walls and inside these walls. So that you and I will be rooted in Christ. We'll be established in the faith and we'll we'll experience the fullness of God. We'll grow up in maturity. It's why we do what we do every single week. It's why people get up early and and come in here to make coffee and donuts. Is it because they love making coffee at 8 in the morning on Sunday? Probably not, but they want to create an environment where people can know Christ. And they can be known by Christ. It's why the choir comes in on Wednesday night and practices and works their tail off and then comes in on Sunday and and sings for us and leads us in worship. It's why the band does the same thing. It's why all of our children's workers and youth workers and ushers and greeters and you name it, give of their time every single week, one why, because they saw something way bigger than themselves that they can be a part of. And that thing they're a part of is helping people know Jesus Christ last last week I was blown away um we I went to pick up our boys are in the three and four year old room and I walked into the room and they're always the last ones. so forgive us teachers we try to go get them but they're just stuck forever in there um and and there's other three and four year olds with them but I was I was just ecstatic when I walked in and Ed Bocker is teaching teaching our boys Ed's 89 years old um and he's just in there investing in our boys, creating this. He used to be a Caterpillar, and they ripped all the fuzzy things off. Um, but it talked about how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And Ed Bacher, 89, said, I want to be about that. Why? Because I want them to know Christ. I want them to be known by Christ. Church, That. that's what it's all about. That is the church. When I walked in there, I just wanted to thank God. That is the church at its best. That's the church at its best. I encourage you, if you haven't found your niche here somewhere in this community to serve or you're daily or weekly giving to the greatest story ever told called the Gospel, Paul would say, which he was a sermon of. You need to find it. Make it a non-negotiable. You will be blown away. You think, oh, I'm going to go serve all these people and do all these nice things. You know what happens? You end up getting taught and blessed, and grown up in the faith. I love the story last week, and hopefully Ed will be a reminder to all of us to step up so other people can be rooted in the faith and can know Christ as Paul talks about in Colossians uh, 2, 6 and 7. He goes on in Colossians 2, verse 8 through 10. And he says, See to it that no one takes you captive uh, through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than Christ rather, uh, than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. It seems crazy because Paul's going back. Did't he just, he just talked about this in verse four. He's going back to the, to the fine argument, the deception thing. Don't buy into all of that. Any time in the Bible you see any one of those authors repeat themselves, uh, I would perk your ears up and listen. And the reason why Paul went back to it is because he knew how easily we were susceptible to false teaching. And he says, before long, you'll buy into that, and it'll be about human tradition. It'll be about philosophy. Elemental, spiritual forces that he talks about. And you'll be captivated by all of those things. Instead of being captivated by Jesus Christ, the gospel's not based on human tradition. The gospel's not based on what you think. The gospel's not based on theory or philosophy, or the wisest person in this room. The gospel's based on Jesus Christ. And any time uh, you talk about the gospel and you say Jesus and fill in the blank, you know what you have? You don't have the gospel. Because it's Jesus and nothing. It's Jesus and nothing. And Paul wanted this church, man, stay rooted because you're going to be tempted to buy into all, all of this stuff. And he says, in Christ, you've got enough. Paul did the same thing with the Galatian church in Galatians 1, 6-7. Uh, Here's an example. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the One who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different Gospel which he says is it's really no gospel at all. You're perverting the gospel, calling it the gospel. It's not even the gospel anymore, friends. And he got after the Galatian church for this. Hebrews 12, verse 2, May I keep your eyes fixed on him. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. We're going to close with Colossians 2, uh, verses 11 through 15. And we could not have a better uh, four verses here to set us up for, for Holy Communion. Uh, because the Gospel is, I mean, it's just shared. What Paul does in this is, is fantastic. He tells us about what Jesus has done for us. So as we get ready to remember what Christ has done for us, let, let these spark your memory. It says, In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. He's pointing back to Old Testament covenant stuff, where the Jewish men were circumcised. Uh, to be right with God. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. You were made new by Him. Having been buried with Him in baptism, uh, the old life is gone, right? And in which you were also raised with Him uh, through your faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Listen to verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, we were bankrupt with our sins. And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were not, when you were not made new, God, He made a way. He made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, of which that is a pretty long list, isn't it, for all of us. He, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against and condemned us, He's taken it all away. He nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them. The victory has been won. We sing songs about that all the time, and this passage tells us that. Triumphing over them by the cross. Paul tells us in this passage because of Christ, uh, we can be buried with him in our baptism and raised to new life, and the old nature can be gone. We can be made a new creation uh, through baptism. Because of Jesus, he says we've been, we've been forgiven, is what he tells us in these passages that the debt has been canceled, that you and I are no longer condemned. That's good news. Because of Jesus, we can have a new life, a new beginning, a fresh start, that the old is gone, the scales are peeled back, and we can see our Savior for who He is, and we can be in right standing with Him. When I lived in uh, Decatur, Indiana, my hometown, John's hometown, um, there was a restaurant in this town called The West End. I'll let you guess which side of town it was on. Anybody guess? There you go. It kind of, it was almost like the middle because the town just kept going out. But I would go to the West End. So when I got out of college, my first job was at my home church, my growing up days church. and I served there for five and a half years doing youth ministry, children's ministry, that kind of thing. And while there, I would go to the West End often and eat lunch. Uh, And it was great. That's why I got so big, just because I just kept eating West End food every day. But one particular winter day, and I'll never forget this, um, I went to eat at the West End, reading the paper, just enjoying myself, um, ate way too much, got up, went to the cash register to pay my bill, reached into the, the right pocket, uh, reached into the left pocket, headed down to the jeans, and realized I was walletless. Is that a word? I had no wallet. I had nothing. wasn't in the car. It was, I knew where it was. It was at home on the counter is where my wallet was. And before, I didn't even mention this to the, to the lady that was behind the counter, about ready to pay my bill. And she said, hey, by the way, you don't have to pay your bill today. Somebody, somebody already took care of it. And I'm here to tell you, nobody's ever taken care of my bill ever before up at that point. Um, and I couldn't believe it. And I think of that picture so often as I stood before the cash register, a debt to be paid, absolutely no way to pay it. I was broke as ever. I was bankrupt, not having my wallet, if you will. And somebody else said, I'm going to foot the bill for you today. And as we stand before a holy God, it's pretty clear that we are, we are bankrupt spiritually before Him. That we have no way to be in right standing with Him after we broke fellowship in Genesis. But God says, well, I got another plan. And he stands up and he walks up to the cash register and he pays our sin debt so that we can be in right standing with him. He went to the cross for you and me and he shed his blood. In verse 14, it says he didn't just, he didn't just cancel the debt, but it says in verse 14, the charge was eradicated. The legal indebtedness was gone and it was nailed to the cross. And it was taken care of forever. So he not only paid it, but he wiped the slate clean like it was never there in the first place. Why in the world would we chase after, run after, and want to be a part of anything else but a relationship with Jesus Christ?